The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Vacationing. Brett McGarry and our co-host Loren McNabb. And today we're talking about Polo Park, the future of the shopping mall. Might you be parking it here permanently? Yes, a proposed development. We haven't seen any pretty pictures yet, but they want to build apartments at Polo Park. We'll talk to Richard Cloutier about that. A man from where drove all the way to see the maize and corn in St. Adolph. We'll tell you that in our conversation with Clint Moss. And February was, in fact, nicer than usual. How much nicer? David Phillips will tell us just how nice it was. And what constitutes hate speech? The vandalism, the graffiti that was spray-painted on three locations in Winnipeg, did it constitute hate speech? I think it did. An expert tells us whether I'm right or not. And do you lie to your doctor? If so, what are you lying about? Let's get right down to business. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, joined by Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, and of course, Jeffrey Forche, who's always here. He's the strong, silent type behind the glass. I sure am. But we love when he jumps <laughs> in to talk about this idea of lying to your doctor. Loren, 23% of people. Now, here's the other thing. Buyers are liars. And if you are doing a survey, are you telling the truth about how often you lie to your doctor? Okay, well, the survey was done by an insurance company. It found 23% of people have lied to their doctor. Among the most popular fibs are smoking, how much you exercise, how much you drink, and how many sexual partners you've had. And it actually found that strike one, strike two, strike more three. women, 33%, lied about their partner's than men at 21%. So just fascinating. And the question is, you know, have you ever done it, first of all? Jeff, you said you've never lied to your doctor? Uh, Not that nothing comes to mind. Like lying, I think the doctor can figure out if you exercise enough because that's his main advice always is you should exercise more, right? So I I do, I lied profusely to the dentist for decades about flossing. I'll tell you that. I think they expect that. They have mirrors and they have x-rays and things. They knew you were lying, Jeff. I hate to tell you. I know. Kelly? Uh, And they were talking about you at lunchtime. I I always, I don't know why, I kind of live my life in sports parallels. And, you know, when it comes to the doctor, you can fool the fans, but you can't fool the room. You know, so, I mean, what what is the point? You know, if you're if if there's one person you should be able to confide in, it's your doctor. So, to me, it may it would make no sense whatsoever to not be completely transparent with someone that can help you. Oh, I've lied. Now, one of our listeners says there are two people you should never lie to in this context. One is the doctor. The other is your mechanic. Yeah. I've lied to two that text messages in a row. <laughs> never mind lying to your doctor. How about lying to your mechanic? Trying to exaggerate on the problem you're having only creates confusion. Uh, cars are complicated enough today without dealing with embellishments from the customer. So there you go. There's something yeah. to keep in mind. I think this is the opposite thing that's happening, though. It's not It's not embellishment or exaggerating. 
uh, that they're talking about. They're talking about underplaying things because you want to impress someone. Like it's, I've had the mechanic say, uh, "Any chance you like hit a big pothole?" And I'm no, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> Any chance <laughs> I don't you know put how oil this... in your car yeah, like, in the last month? Exactly, like things like uh. that. Yeah. So that that it's almost like you don't want to admit to your own stupidity or, or something like that. You're embarrassed it's about, all about it. About pride. And I have yeah. had the doctor say, "How many glasses of wine do you have a week?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh. fourteen, twenty, <laughs> two. I want to play poker with McNabb because she would start, if she had a good hand and she's trying to bluff, she'd go, I'm going to bet. And then whatever the bet, you would know that it was a bluff. Just watch her foot. It would be tapping on the floor. Now, Fortune, you're just too nice to lie about anything, I think. Well, no, here's the problem. I have not been to the doctor. Oh, young guys. Uh, in years, Jeff. I don't. I don't remember the last time it was before I was working here. It was when you were born, I think. <laughs> no, I was. It was probably like nine years ago. Come on, man! Everybody needs a checkup at least every couple of years. No, what no, do you no. do? You're good till you're 35, man. That's not true. Come well, on, I'm, I'm with do I have to take one. you? Do I have to take you? You? Might, you might have to take me. But because my doctor is basically right across the street from your house. So I'm going to come and get you one day and introduce <laughs> you to him, okay? If I were to lie, it'd probably be about fast food. And exercise. Right. Fast food. Uh, I was doing good. I didn't have fast food for like, like I only had it like maybe twice uh, <laughs> in a month. And then uh, this past week, I've had it every single morning. What happened? I got lazy. You ran out of food at home and then <laughs> I could no, go to the grocery no, store or I could go to McDonald's. Or else I could, I could sleep in a bit so I don't have to wake up early <laughs> to make something. Yeah. And what would prompt you to lie about that if you did? Just because it's embarrassing? You it don't is wanna, embarrassing. Yeah. I think that's and just here, it. I'm admitting it. Yeah. To a lot of people. <laughs> it's very therapeutic. I always say the vacuum of honesty that is our our microphone uh, does uh, have a therapeutic nature to it. One of our listeners says, hey, I, I, I think more than 23% of people lie to their doctors. I believe this is because of how many people that live in denial and then, yeah. of course, had to throw in the joke, denial just ain't a river you, in Egypt. You know what would be kind of cool, though, is you're sitting there lying old-facedly to your doctor, and he kind of re- gives you the old... You no, know, raised eyebrow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then comes right out with it. You're lying. Don't you feel like you get that judgment anyway sometimes? Like, how often do you exercise? And I'm like, look at me. Yeah, how yeah. often do you think I exercise? Like, you're the Let's doctor. Turn like, you tell me. I feel like you should be able to tell. You just weighed me. Just I was just at the, my fat. I like. was just at the Red River X. A guy just looked at me and guessed my birthday and my weight. I know he's not a doctor. You can't tell how much. Like yeah, th- yeah. there are ways to approach this. Do you find that maybe a few weeks before your physical, you start? eating better and do exercise a little bit more, just like, just I'm like going to just cheat that cholesterol test down a little bit more than I it would be? I was worried about, like, I thought I was having heart chest stuff going on. It was something totally different, but I had to go for one of those stress tests. And so I went for a run the day before the stress <laughs> test because I wanted to make sure I wasn't oh. going to die during the stress test. And then everyone, friends are like, but then you're okay with dying on a dirt country road? I was like, yes, yes, I am. I do not want to die in the doctor's office. For that one day, the doctor believes that I'm healthy. It's all, it's all worth it. We play such games with ourselves. We're going to take a look at the weather mm. and that, you know, how they say, what do they say? 
statistics are for losers, but numbers don't lie. That's right. And if you've been kind of trying to figure out, hey, has it actually been warmer than normal? Yeah, I think we can all agree. It feels like it's been a pretty decent weather. But if you had to guess how many days dropped to minus 30 temperature, not with wind, just temperature this winter, what would your answer be? I don't remember at all. I don't think I've plugged my car in once this winter, so I'm going to say two. Yeah, so the you're pretty close. It's been four this whole winter. The normal is 12. So we only have had a third of the normal days. Nice. And in fact, the uh, same goes for any days that have hit minus 20. We're well below minus 20 d- days. So you'd have to go back at least four or five years to find uh, a winter that's been as warm as this in the sense of those kinds of temperatures. And then you also throw in the fact we haven't seen much snow. Depending on what side of the equation you're on, you might think... Hey, not bad, Winnipeg. I'm a little suspicious here, though, Loren. I know how much you lament doing math. Did you have some help? Mike Conkin. Global's Mike Conkin uh, crunched the numbers for me, and then I took them from him. He said, is this interesting? I said, yes, it is. Thank you very much. (laughs) And then I tried to do the percentages this morning, and I gave up. But it's really fascinating stuff because we have been talking a lot about, you know, snowmobilers haven't had much snow this winter. Uh, The ski hills have had different situations. But at 730, we're going to go to the corn maze, snow maze, rather, They've thought this winter has been amazing because people are getting out. David Phillips is the senior climatologist with Environment Canada. As Greg put it, David, numbers don't lie. Well, they don't. And well, you don't need me, guys. I mean, you just <laughs> stole my thunder with all those numbers you've been batting about. And you're actually right. I mean, Mike is, uh, is, must be a, a closet climatologist because uh, he had those numbers correct. And it's, it's pretty amazing. I, uh, clearly, we know that this wasn't the warmest winter on record. But it was almost as if it just, it just was kind of not that cold. And you're right. I mean, the, the mark of, uh, of a Canadian winter is often temperatures below minus 20. Out west, it's usually uh, minus 30. And you can get some days with minus 40. But you've only had four of those suckers. Last time last year, you had 13 days where the temperature fell uh, below minus 30. And, you know, last year they got to almost minus 40, minus 39.9. But the coldest moment this winter has been minus 34. But I think there's something else about those numbers though, is that the consecutive kind of days, that long spell of, of, of just brutal kind of weather, it's just kind of been missing. I mean, you had, uh, yes, four occasions with minus 30, but only one day wonders this year. So you get to minus 30, and then all of a sudden, the day before or the day after, it was just not quite as cold as that. Last year, I mean, my gosh, you had four occasions where you had three days in a row with temperatures minus 30. So it was almost as if like tomorrow's like yesterday and it's brutally cold but not this year now overall i think february was about normal temperatures january was was clearly about uh, almost four degrees warmer than normal so was december so i don't think it's been a painful kind of a winter from a, a temperature point of view you've probably been saving a little bit money on your home heating bills because temperatures have been not as brutally cold so my sense is that i think most winnipeggers would take this kind of winter over sort of last winter. I remember the polar vortex. Remember February of last year? Mm. Holy moly. I mean, you had uh, the number of uh, consecutive days below minus 20. I think there were like, of the of the 20 days, 28 days in February, I think there were 24 consecutive days where temperatures fell below minus 20. So it's it just, every nook and cranny was filled with cold air, and it just really made the character of last winter. Well, this one, hey, it's it's not been too bad, guys. Can I add two words to this commentary? Yeah. David Phillips, yes, so Greg. so far because 
March is, right. is, oh, is definitely a, a winter month in this part of the world. You know, Greg, you're so right. We can't write the obituary on winter like yet, even though we're finishing February. We're coming out with our spring forecast on Sunday. But I can give you a little preview of what mm. we're going to probably say. Only if it's and, good. Okay, well, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is, well, there's three possibilities. We could say colder than normal, we could say warmer than normal, or something in between normal. And what we see right now for Manitoba is normal to slightly warmer than normal. So again, I mean, we can't, you know, we haven't seen winter's last hurrah, uh, but I, I think um, the number of days, for example, below minus 20, on average, you get about maybe five of those in March uh, compared to, uh, say, 13 in February. So I, I think clearly we can expect some, you know, some cold air to come back. But, you know, it typically it doesn't last very long. It's like a one or two days at the most. It's this battle that takes place between winter-like weather and, and, and spring-like weather. And, you know, you see coming up in the next uh, seven days, my gosh, you've got maple syrup weather in there, <laughs> where it's melting during the day and freezing at night. I mean, the temperatures that are going to be five or seven degrees warmer than normal. So certainly we're going to end the month on a mild note, and we're going to begin March on a mild note. So, hey, the uh, it's going to come in like a lamb and doesn't always leave like a lion. So uh, my sense is that this is clearly the back of winter is broken. Now, Greg is right. I mean, clearly you can't, you haven't finished counting all the snowflakes. I mean, typically in Winnipeg, from this moment on, so when we look at March, April, and do I dare say May, you get on average about 31 centimeters of snow, about 27% of your annual snowfall. Now, right now, the snowfall sitting on the ground is less than it was last year. So from a flood point of view, that's pretty good. But last year, you had almost uh, a, a drought in the springtime, and that really saved your bacon with regards to flooding. So I think there's a little nervousness maybe about this year. I mean, what are, what are, going, to, are there going to be some spring rains or some, some of those Colorado hookers that come up north and, and dump a bunch of snow on you? So, you know, I mean, we just can't say that that's going to happen. Our models show a normal amount of precipitation but normal to slightly warmer than normal temperatures going ahead. David, we prefer to eat our bacon, but you can save our bacon with a forecast any time you like. We always appreciate uh, the insight and uh, the way you deliver it, David. Thank you as always, sir. Uh, thanks. thanks, guys. All the best. Bye-bye. minutes south of Winnipeg. I feel like this should be a ditty. There should be, we should be writing a song. Five minutes south of Winnipeg. Yeah. There's a cute little town nestled along the banks of the Red River. It's got francophone roots, a new development that's attracting city commuters, and a lot of charm. We're talking St. Adolphe. You get there by driving down Highway 75 and taking one left turn, or you can go down St. Mary's Road also known as Highway 200. So if you choose that route, you, of course, are going to drive right past a field that's drawing in all sorts of people, and not just Manitobans. Of course, we're talking the amazing corn, which in winter is the amazing snow, the snow maze. Last fall, we spoke to its owner, Clint Moss, and he was really struggling. There, there had been that fall storm in October over the Thanksgiving, just before right. the Thanksgiving weekend. Then there was all sorts of rain throughout October that basically shut their operations down around Halloween. They had to just completely get rid of the haunted forest, mm -hmm, Greg. Mm -hmm. All sorts of uh, things there. That was in part because they opened the floodway to help city dwellers 
during the rise in waters, but that impacted their operations. And he, at that time, when we talked to them, he had taken a big hit. He was just, unlike most people in fall, he was praying for winter because he just wanted it to be over. And he needed this winter to be good. Given the lack of snow, I started to wonder this season if it was a bust too. So we grabbed the kids, paid them a visit. People might think, a snow maze, a snow bar needs snow. We haven't had a lot of snow, so at first glance I'd think, oh boy, I wonder how they're doing without all this snow. Well, and this snow, like when you see this structure, and if you haven't been out here, it's pretty spectacular, the fact that we've made a building. I don't know, it could probably hold 50 people, and it has to be out of man-made snow. So it worked out because December, Mother Nature gave us some really, really cold temperatures on that first part of December, and that was perfect for making man-made snow. We were excited that, that this year's turned out the way it is. And now with this last finish, we're always excited about the last finish because, you know, that weather when it's, you know, cabin fever time, it's February or early March, and you're getting up to like minus one, plus two. I mean, we're going to have people out here to enjoy, you know, what we've built, and that's what we're here for. So if you remember, the snow maze had 2,700, 2,789. How do you do that? It was 2,789 square meters. So it's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records, a feat that helped draw in nearly 20,000 people. Last year. If you would have monetized the amount of exposure we got on every major radio station, every TV station, and it was just relentless. CNN. CNN, um, you know, even international stuff. So we just didn't think we would... We were a little worried this year, for sure. And right now, we're on pace. I'd say we're a hair ahead, but I think that's thanks to Mother Nature. But the weather looks good finishing, and I think we're actually going to top last year's records. And, hey, thanks, Manitoba, for supporting us. So, again, last year they got about ninety or sorry, 20,000 people. This year they're already at 13,000. It's going to be at least minus one or warmer this weekend, Greg. And we were just talking to David Phillips after seven about the idea that we've had very few of those minus 30 days and mm-hmm. even not as many minus 20 days. And so Clint says the threshold of Manitoba, he finds Manitobans because they can look ahead to the long-term forecast. They won't come if it's colder than minus 20 because they can see, oh, well, next weekend's going to be better. And so a weekend like this is huge for them. So not only has the maze expanded, it's about 10% bigger. They've really added to it. There's a slide, there's this toboggan hill, there's a snow bar. Pardon? Hey, do I have to say more? There's a bar built out of snow and you can get drinks in there for the adults. And there's a snow theater. Did you know Hallmark had made a movie there last year? I had no idea. So it was just out. And for that reason, they built a theater out of snow. Tell me all about this article that they want you to write. It's what makes small towns special. Why do people want to move here and why do they stay? The reason we have it is simply because the Hallmark people, um, they made a movie last year here, just at the very, very end of the season. That's why it's kind of off the radar a little bit. What Nate is doing with that snow maze is absolutely incredible. And it's all so that people can come and enjoy our little town. That is has generated, you know, travelers coming up. We've had one guy show up from Iowa on Friday and he said, yeah, I'm here. And, uh, I saw the movie and I just drove up for the weekend and we're like, like you saw, <laughs> like it was, uh, we were shocked. I mean, holy smoke. You saw a movie and got in your car. And yep. you know what? I don't know. No disrespect to me. It was a guy. He was, <laughs> he was a guy that was excited about Hallmark movies and say, Hey, like let's all love Hallmark movies for sure. But I know the ladies <laughs> like them more. And, uh, I think think by what I was told by the staff, he was just by himself. But hey, if we can get tourism to Manitoba, um, we'll do it any way we can.
What an incredible story. Uh, Snowbar, maybe some future expansion. I think this deserves another segment. We're coming back at 935. Because, hey, when you say Snowbar, you want to know more. But he also has some more ideas for what they'd like to do on that property near St. Adolph. So we'll be back at 930 with that. It sounds like they made a movie about Clint is what it It sounds like. It does. I kind of want to see it. (laughs) I really... loathe some of those movies only because of the cheesy factor, but then you're sucked in. Oh, yeah. You're like, I'm all in. We start this hour with what's happening at three sites across our city. Yesterday, of course, we told you about the vandalism, the graffiti. Was it hate speech? We're going to find out. Cleaners are doing what they can to clean up that mess, that spray paint at uh, Dan Vandell's office, Human Rights Museum, and of course at RCMP headquarters, which was which were sprayed with phrases like "land back" and "f." But the full word RCMP. I stopped by RCMP D Division on my way in this morning, Loren, and they managed to clean up all the paint. Uh, off of everything except for that red star or splatter on the chest of the bronze statue of the uh, of the Mountie. The last one has been cleaned up, but we know that as of 4 a.m., as I said, uh, there was still that red paint. So it's, of course, an act that the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, Arlen Dumas, strongly condemned, writing in a statement that desecrating the RCMP memorial that was actually erected in the memory of fallen RCMP officers like Constable Dennis Strongquill, an Indigenous man who dedicated his life to protecting this province. Chief Dumas called that unacceptable. He also called on mainstream media outlets to turn off or shut down their comment sections for stories that they publish on First Nations in these blockades because... In his mind, it's encouraging or potentially encouraging further threats or harm. And I thought those were both two really valid points. Stop the graffiti, also stop the hate in general. And so that had us asking all sorts of questions. Many people saying, is this hate a crime, the graffiti? Is it hate speech? What's happening online? James Turk is the director for the Center for Free Expression out of Ryerson University and joins us now. Good morning, James. Good morning. How are you? We're we're well. We've it's always it's a conflicting time and and confusing. And I want to start with just the graffiti that we shared with you in that online story, and about whether or not that is you know a, a, a it's a crime to graffiti, but is it hate? Is it a hate crime? Well, it's certainly a, an expression of uh, extreme anger. Um, it it doesn't qualify as hate crime under Canadian law. Um, the criminal code has two sections that describe what constitutes hate. Um, and the, the, one of them says that you have to communicate statements in a public place that identify hatred against an identifiable group that's likely to lead to a breach of the peace. And by identifiable group, they mean on the basis of national origin, ethnic background, religion, uh, creed, gender, and so forth. So, uh, what was being expressed in the, in those um, uh, graffiti uh, texts was really angry political speech, but it, it's not what our criminal code would treat as hate speech. James, it, a, a group it was angry, but yeah. not it's not criminal under the criminal code. It's it is under the it is criminal under the criminal code in terms of mischief. Uh, for the graffiti. Uh, James, sorry, I did not mean to talk over you there. Just this idea, though, okay. uh, uh, an identifiable group, the RCMP would not qualify as an identifiable group in this case? No, no. Uh, the The origin of hate speech law is how to deal with the demonization of people because of characteristics over which they have no control. That is, their gender, their national origin, their ethnicity, 
um, their sexual orientation. Uh, so, you know, often, um, I mean, there's anti-Semitism, there's Islamophobia, uh, there's homophobia. So the hate speech laws are, are uh, focused on um, groups of people who, because of their characteristics, are demonized or described as less than human or otherwise uh, discriminated against in a hateful way. So let's talk about that aspect of it, because that brings us to the next point we were talking about with the Grand Chief of Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs calling on you know organizations to watch those online comments. And we had a, one of our colleagues out in BC talk about how he spent you know an hour going through deleting 100 comments that were really hateful in the sense of even calling for death. And so is there a line there in terms of if is it a generalization or does that more easily qualify for the potential of a hate crime or hate speech when it's written online and targeted towards a group of people? Well, I mean, there's a lot of really awful stuff on social media, mm-hmm. uh, both uh, hate speech as is recognized by the criminal code, but there's a lot of other speech that may not qualify as hate speech, but it's certainly illegal speech. Uh, so any uh, expression that's violent or threatens violence is illegal is not protected by our freedom of expression rights in Canada. So uh, whether it's hateful or not, if it's, if it's uh, expressing violence or threats of violence, then it's, uh, it is illegal. Um, so the, again, I, I mean, the hate speech law is to really uh, deal with hate speech against uh, people because of their personal characteristics, their race, their gender, and so forth. Uh, political speech, whether it's hatred of a particular political party or hatred of the police or or hatred of academics or whatever, um, is political speech that's protected as, as freedom of expression. But where it crosses the line into advocating, advocating or calling for violence or is violent itself, then it's not protected and, and is not uh, uh, acceptable under Canadian law. I know in our organization here, and I can suspect it's the same for many others, we work diligently to try to make sure these comments are dealt with or deleted or what have you. It can sometimes be hard to keep up, and sometimes there are decisions about, you know, do you turn the comment section off or on or what have you. That's the policing on the, you know, the the media organization sense. But then when it comes to policing, like the police moving in on this talk, can a person, do we have cases where people have been charged uh, for these kinds of comments? I know in Manitoba we've had a recent case about someone making hateful comments on Facebook. But it must be pretty hard for police to keep up with this kind of stuff. Well, it is. Um, the criminal code is a really blunt instrument, and, and uh, we have to deal with these issues. It's often not through the law that we have to deal with them. I mean, so a number of journalistic organizations and other organizations have stopped having comment sections just because of the vitriolic nature of a lot of the comments that uh, are put up, because uh, it's just almost impossible to monitor and stay on top of them. So they just eliminated comment sections. So that's one thing that people can do. Um, the, the use of hate speech law, um, it was, it was really controversial when it was introduced because one of the four fundamental freedoms that our charter of rights and freedoms recognizes the freedom of expression. And so the courts have been very reluctant to limit expression. And so have set a high bar for what it has to be before it's unacceptable. And in terms of hate speech, uh, they've been very clear that, well, there's a lot of speech that is rightfully called hateful. It's not considered illegal uh, until it, it so demonizes a group of people because of characteristics over which they have no control um, 
like race uh, or gender, uh, that uh, they're rendered less inhuman, they're treated as detestable, and they're vilified, and that's that's what's illegal. Uh, but as I say, there's all sorts of other speech that's violent or threatens violence. It's not hate speech, but it's illegal speech. Uh, and the police have to deal with that. Uh, the trouble with so much social media is a lot of it's anonymous. Uh, even if a journalistic organization or whatever take down a comment, it can reappear on all sorts of other platforms, whether it be uh, Twitter or Twitter takes it down. It could be in 4chan or 8chan. I mean, there's endless, the old cliche that once something's on the internet, it's there forever, uh, is unfortunately true. And it's a problem we as a society are trying to deal with. uh, And we haven't found a good way to do that. James Turk, thank you for this. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you. We're going really into our backyard here at Apollo Park and the question of development. Richard Cluche joins us now. Rich, you've been working on this for several months, and I find it ironic that in downtown Winnipeg, we're redeveloping Portage Place with a new retail potentially and, of course, new residential towers, more people living downtown than ever before. But we're still searching for that healthy residential commercial mix. It's been very elusive for downtown. Well, here in Polo Park, one of the most popular and successful retail areas anywhere in Canada, they're looking to add more residential to the conversation. And the reason why they want to add residential is the... Amazons of the world have really reshaped the whole shopping experience that we undergo. And now if you take a walk through Polo Park, uh, they're redeveloping the former Sears store and they're going to be announced very shortly that there's going to be a whole lot more office space in that former Sears store. So where we're sitting right now and to the north of us, the former stadium land, this is all part of an 80-acre parcel. And the vision, and it's still a vision because there aren't tangible plans yet by Cadillac Fairview and their local partner Shindico for the 26-acre parcel to the north of us, the former stadium lands. Their vision here is to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the years to come. They want to put residential towers for apartment buildings here. They want to put underground parking. They want uh, towers perhaps adjacent to the shopping center. Um, assisted living, I'm told upwards of 3,000 people Mm. could live on this site here if, if City Hall, the airports authority, the provincial government, all the hoops and obstacles say yes. And there's a lot of obstacles, a lot of hoops to go through on this. Let's talk a bit about that because this is a this is a long game they're obviously playing, and but we know it will be a battle no matter which side you fall upon because at the end of the day, it's about the big concern of should the airport grow bigger and you bring more people in, are you going to have those complaints about the planes? And the noise. We do know the reality of 2020 is that planes are a lot quieter that there are very few noise complaints, if any, generated as a result of the airport uh, takeoffs and landings here. That's just simply because it's always been this way. The airport's authority is going to get water and sewer, and they've got a very ambitious plan to expand. And the one thing here is that it's a 24-hour airport, unlike other North American airports that have all sorts of restrictions. So Barry Rempel of the Airports Authority is saying, well, wait a minute here. This might be good for the short game at Polo Park, but the long game is you would like to attract long-term sustainable jobs to the city of Winnipeg. And we're talking 
thousands of jobs. He has a plan eventually to put a third runway in mm. at the airport. So they're saying for cargo is it more cargo, freight and that They're kind of looking thing? at this as being one of the big freight opportunities in North America. But still, we're Winnipeg and we're still situated in a corridor that doesn't have the people that other centers do. But their warning in a nutshell is you allow this development to go through, you start getting the noise complaints, and then it ends up like Montreal. In Montreal, for example, right now, there are class action lawsuits against the development proposals going on there because of noise. But here right now, there are very few people that complain about the noise at the airport. So this is all going to start and it could be – and I don't think this is going to be weeks this could be months. It could be years before this is settled. But you've got two titans here and some very interesting twists to this story. I just find it bizarre, Richard, because I know lots of people. Uh, one of the most desirable places to live in all of Winnipeg is St. James, mm-hmm. uh, right on the doorstep of the airport, uh, Mount Royal. Uh, try and buy a house in there right now. You've got multiple generations of people who have stayed in that neighborhood, who grew up with the airplanes, who have stuck around. I grew up in this neighborhood. You've got the tower. Towers on Strathcona by Ray and Jerry's. You've got the towers of Pola Park, Kiltartan Towers, all the development on Queen Street. This parcel of land is less close to the airport sure. than the towers of Polo Park. And Why Shindico, is this an issue? And Shindico would argue that it's going to be concrete steel construction and that uh, it will uh, abide by all the noise issues and make it as soundproof as possible, that they're not putting up... Uh, you know, uh, a simple wood construction complex here, that they're going to spend the money. And because it's apartments, not condominiums, apartments, when you go in to rent, you know you're in an airport mm-hmm. zone. So they're trying to uh, allay those concerns that way. Whereas the airport's authority says, you know what, other cities have been down this path before. So there's, you know, a, a warning here. So you've got the here and the now. And the other factor on this, guys, is that you have the former Winnipeg Stadium here that the, the, the tax dollars from there were hoped to help solve the debt problem with Investors Group Field. Up to about $70 million, But there's no, no tax revenue coming from there right exactly. now. And Shindico and Cadillac Fairview would argue that, you know what, we've got a city council here that's looking for more tax mm-hmm. dollars. The tax dollars generated from this development would more than deal with some of the the revenue shortfalls that we have in the city of Winnipeg. So the pitch next week to the city committee is just, can we we consider the idea that we would need to develop and have some rules around airport use, expansion, etc.? That's exactly it. There's no proposal coming to the table yet. I've seen some drawings and they're impressive, but uh, what's coming is the simple ask, yes or no, will we allow residential in this area? And it goes through the city hall structure. But because it's an airport's authority, you've got other, uh, other uh, regulatory bodies that could get involved in this as well in the weeks and months to come. I got called naive the other day by one of our listeners. Dare I just say, can't they all just get along? Is that a possibility in this, do you think? Or uh, we... There are many people saying, you know, is there not a compromise on this? And as the day evolves here, and I'm about to go to the Winnipeg Airports Authority for a tour, we'll ask that question of Barry Rempel. But Rempel says, you know what, uh, you got to think about the city 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now. You can't just think about it here and now. So I'll be fascinated to see how this is handled by the city politicians 
by the provincial politicians and by all the developers, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. There are no drawings available or presented for what they're thinking about here, but at the story at globalnews.ca, cgob.com, there are visuals. Richmond, Richmond, British Columbia. Very similar development. In the shadows of Vancouver International Airport, 1.5 kilometers away from one of the busiest airports in North America. Richard, thank you for this. We look forward to this developing story. In, the, in your words, in the days and weeks to come. You ever been to Finnipeg? I, I, aren't I in Finnipeg you right are, now? You are. You are. Winnipeg's love affair with Finnish hockey players goes back. How long do you think, Loren? It'd have to be WHA days, right? Correct. Yeah. Mid-1970s when the WHA Jets began a trend which would change hockey, employing European hockey players en masse. Now, the Jets weren't the first team to have a European player, but to have multiple European players, five, six, seven of them on the roster, yeah, Winnipeg was revolutionary in that. Now, most hockey fans in these parts know the names Anders Hedberg and Alf Nielsen, whether or not you were fortunate enough to see them play. But along with fellow Swede Lars-Erik Schoberg, the Jets also recruited Finns now Two of the great names in Manitoba hockey history, Hexi Rearanta and Veli Pekka They uh, also came to Winnipeg in 1975-76. Teppo Numanen, one of my favorite Jets. In fact, I have a Phoenix Coyotes jersey, mm-hmm. but it has 27 Numanen on it, so I think I'm forgiven think for having for the Coyotes sure. jersey with that. Became a fan favorite in the late 1980s when he joined the NHL Jets. And then, of course, then came the magic of Timu Solani. And now... Patrick Laine to secure a decades-long connection between Winnipeg and Finland on the ice. The hashtag Finnipeg is born. Now, University of Manitoba Bison's women's hockey team did their share by bringing on board our next guest in 2014. She's a three-time Olympian. She is now Jets hockey development on-ice instructor and an assistant coach with the University of Manitoba Bison's. Welcome to CJOB, Venlahovi. How are you, Venma? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Always great to speak with you. Your energy is infectious. How many jobs do you have right now? (laughs) Uh, I just have two in Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, currently also working on building my own brand back home in Finland, running a hockey camp there in the summer. So that's also on my plate. But I'm a big... I'm a big Van Halen guy, so when I see VH together, I love that. So that yeah, works really well for me. Thank you. So we're talking about the idea that you're so busy, but you're still adding another thing to your plate this weekend with an event. We're going to get to that in a moment, but I think we want to play a clip from a pretty big game in your collegiate career. Are you ready, Venma? I'm ready. Hovi walks into the light. Drop out, scores! Scores! Zacharias from Hovi! Zacharias from Hovi! In the fourth overtime with 6.30 to go. Oh, my goodness. I was getting uh, goosebumps listening to that and watching it this morning. Please tell us about that goal. Yeah, it was definitely one of the coolest experiences in my career, coming, traveling back from the Pyeongchang Olympics and then a couple hours after dressing up for the Bison game in the, in the semifinals against the Alberta Pandas and fourth overtime and... Yeah, somehow managed to get that puck to Jordy, and then she scored. And then you went on to win a national title after the bronze at the at the Olympics, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like how casually you say that. Yep. Yes, I did. <laughs> no big deal. 
It was an incredible several weeks of your life and uh, in watching uh, some of the video and, and recounting the story, the fact that you wore your, your Manitoba Bison's gloves on the ice at the Olympics. And then in stark contrast, you had uh, difficulty getting your equipment back to Winnipeg uh, in time for that uh, monster win over the Alberta Pandas. Uh, tell us just about the whirlwind uh, that was, uh, I guess it was February of 2018. Yeah, so the Olympics ended in the bronze medal game, and and obviously that was a very big, uh, great achievement for myself and for our team, and been a very unique experience. And then uh, right after the game ended, and you know, celebrating with my team, I sort of just switched my brain to wanting to come back here and and continue the season with the Bisons, and I knew that's going to be my last season with them. So I was very hungry to win, and I knew this is going to be my last chance to do it with those girls that supported me along the way leading up to the Olympics. So I just, I thought we will watch the first game that I missed when I was on my way home. And, and then all I had on my mind was I want to come back and we're just going to win. <laughs> How different is it to be on the other side now? You've, you've been on the bench before, but that's to get out and play. And now you're standing there as an assistant coach. Is it hard not to just want to throw your leg over the board sometimes and get on out there? You know, it's not really hard for me, actually. A lot of people told me they didn't even believe me that I was done with hockey because it was obviously a big part of my life, and and that's kind of the Venla they knew was the hockey player. And uh, to be honest, I really enjoy it. It definitely is different, uh, but I feel like I'm also a little bit of a different person in many ways as a coach that I was as a player and and uh i i never really get those thoughts where oh my god i need to jump on the ice i i don't really get that anymore so i'm happy about that actually so talk about this relationship between finland and winnipeg and uh, the hockey history shared uh, between these two countries did it make it easier were you aware of that shared history before you came to the bisons well i think the funny thing is that people don't know in canada is if you ask any Finn. Uh, tell me a, a city in, in Canada, I think one of the first cities that come to their mind is Winnipeg. Uh, and then if you talk to Canadians, a lot of them always, you know, say these things about Winnipeg and how it's cold and how it's this and that. And But in Finland, usually what comes to their mind is Winnipeg, and it's because it's of hockey, and I think that's the relationship sort of between those countries and you know, growing up and looking after players like Timusalani, how you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always sort of been been the place that I knew even growing up. Poor Timo, can you say Timu? Can you say that again? That was oh. well. That was awesome. Yeah, that's much better. So this weekend, we got something pretty fun coming up. Uh, Jets Hockey Development is a proud supporter of gender equality in sports. And so you're joining forces for a free female skills day. Tell us about this. Yeah, so I just just thought about the idea of uh, giving an opportunity for for girls to celebrate the fact that, you know, female hockey and girls hockey is growing at a huge pace and and it's becoming really big and I wanted to give them the opportunity to come here and, you know, come on the ice, work on their skills, kind of see what we do here. Uh, They'll have one hour on the ice with me and and there's going to be Bison players and former players coming to help me with that event, which I'm really thankful for. 
and they get to go in the gym to focus fitness for an hour to do a workout, and then we'll do a one-hour talk and a question-answer and pictures and stuff in the in the restaurant here as well. So it's going to be, you know, just a day for girls to come here and, and have fun and celebrate and get the opportunity uh, without any kind of cost. We've seen some monster crowds across North America in the last couple of weeks for games between Canada and the United States. I think in Anaheim, they had almost 14,000 people at the Arrowhead uh, Pond or the Honda Center, I guess they call it now. Uh, mm-hmm. A friend of mine was in attendance that night and said the, the atmosphere was incredibly electric. Uh, Columbus, I think, had a huge crowd for a game. So just talk about the the, the possibilities for, for women's hockey, The this idea. Obviously, there have been professional leagues in the past, and we know about the controversy do you see a day when women will perhaps team up with the nhl and and create an all women's league uh i can't tell you a day unfortunately i don't i don't know the details to that but i i do see it coming i want to stay positive and uh i hope it comes soon i think we're ready for it there's enough enough female players the the skill is amazing and uh with a little bit of help from the men's side uh, we will create the same atmosphere as there is in the NHL games for females as well. Venla, is it too late for uh, for the, the girls to get involved in the experience on Saturday? Uh, unfortunately, that event filled up in a matter of minutes. Almost. Not surprised. Mm-hmm. So, Not surprised. Uh, there is some conflicts, though. So uh, there are some girls that found out that they will have playoffs that day, unfortunately, at the same time. So I have been contacting people on the waiting list for uh, for spots that have been opening. So I'm hoping to provide that opportunity to as many girls as possible. But unfortunately, I can't bring everyone. So. Yeah, it's provincials, I think, this weekend for girls hockey teams in Manitoba. Yeah. So lots of them will be uh, doing their thing on the ice. It's great to hear this and great to see what you're doing to keep the momentum going with getting more females and gender equality in sports. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, great to have you as one of us now, Venla. Thanks so much. It's uh, great to have you on the show and as a part of our community full-time. Thanks for this. No, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.